All right, guys. Market news. Number one on the list of 10 this week, Prime Trust to arrange banking for customers of BlockQuake crypto exchange. So BlockQuake, some of some new crypto exchange in beta. Um, I guess who cares? Um, Prime Trust. Prime Trust is generally a custody agent. Um, they say banking here, but uh, you know you can't be you can't you can't actually do banking unless you're a bank. Um, so it's not actually banking, but what they're doing is they're providing you know instead of a client depositing directly with the exchange their fiat or their crypto, they deposit it with a custody agent, and that custody agent basically alerts the brokerage. The brokerage credits the account. Not necessarily banking. Those are trust services. Um, but anyway, um, I guess this is probably included because people are wondering why we don't use a service like this. Um, I don't know much about Prime Trust. I know many. I know several other custody agents that I've known since the FX days, which which are, are very large custody agents where people can deposit, um, let's say, fiat currency in trust. The problem sometimes with trust agents is that fiat currency we may need to move, uh, let's say, to liquidity providers, for example. And that can become onerous and slow, and that can slow down our business operations. Here, for the most part, the exchanges that are making use of these services more than likely don't care about that because it's not part of their business flow. Why? Because they're either market making their own client book, so they don't have to move those assets anywhere, or they simply don't understand the implications of having money stuck for a day or two or three, uh, where you have T3, D3 settlement uh, from a trust account into an exchange into a liquidity provider's account, which basically completely screws uh, the way that you're able to maintain uh, margin or maintain credit or maintain uh, your ability to keep on pricing through that through that uh, market maker. So that's the reason why we don't use those type of services. I think those services are going to become better and better over time, especially with the implementation of smart tokens and stable coins, when more of the more institutional liquidity providers start to allow the movements of deposits with that type of, uh, with that type of asset. Number two on the list of 10, Switzerland to require ID for crypto exchange transactions over 1K. So we always talk about here that, you know, yeah, 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 people are so, so convinced or they were convinced just over just a year ago, two years ago, that no, no KYC, no AML would ever touch crypto because crypto was awesome. And everybody that dealt in, dealt in crypto was awesome. And the government suck and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And uh, slowly but surely that has changed. And now uh, even Switzerland now is saying, you know, over 1K, I can almost guarantee you that that's going to change and get more stricter over time. Now, I made an explanation in Telegram, if, any, if you guys were sitting in Telegram just a while ago, because someone came in and asked a few, you know, good questions about why we didn't make uh, deposits without KYC. One of the main reasons we don't do that is that, look, normally, now this, this, is, a, this is an example of a government setting, setting a threshold. Great. So if you're in Switzerland, that means under 1K, you're not necessarily obliged to take. Does that mean as a company, you shouldn't do it? Maybe not. Why? Well, let's put it this way. Let's say a company like CoinMetro, right? Let's say, let's take our volumes we have right now, right? Let's say somewhere six, five to 700,000 euros a day in volume, which obviously on the grand scope of things isn't huge. And the active amount of clients that are doing that volume, let's assume it's 700 for 700K, right? So an average thousand per client, right? Now that's 700 clients, right? Now let's assume that out of those 1, 000, under 1,000, 999 euro deposits, for example, or Swiss francs or whatever, uh, let's assume you have 50, 70 people. Let's make the numbers easy. 70 people that make questionable deposits that you don't screen initially. Now, that what does that mean? That means 10% of your active clients are now trading with money that is questionable. 
Now, the government may say that you don't have to screen those guys, but I guarantee your banking partners and not just your banking partners, but eventually the government and the, the, the especially the, gov the government entities you're supposed to report these type of transactions to will come down on you and say, how is it that 10% of your entire client base, you know, is involved in scams, uh, you know, human trafficking and drugs? And you go, well, you guys said we didn't have to screen anything under a thousand. And I go, yeah, well, you should have noticed a pattern. And, you know, you're, you're obliged to actually look into these things. So even when government set those thresholds, let me tell you that it still makes sense internally for a company that wants to protect itself and its clients. Because let me give you a scenario. When that happens, and that's not an if, when it happens that a company then gets screened and they're found to be negligent in one way, shape, or form, guess what happens? Their wallets, that those hot wallets, cold wallets they control, as well as their bank accounts gets frozen by the government. And what happens when that gets frozen? There's no withdrawals. So even though you're a client that's, you know, cool, clean, and whatever, and you happen to be using this exchange because, you know, you could get onboarded immediately instead of taking five minutes to upload a document, what happens is, is that your funds get frozen too. And those investigations can last months, but they can last years. So imagine having your funds frozen for three to five years because simply the exchange was too lazy or thought that, you know what, let's, let, let's try to make a little more money a little more quickly and not apply these rules internally. Number three, that, that took way longer than a minute. So number three, let's 10, let's speed it up. Samsung and Salesforce plow millions into blockchain company. So a company called Digital Asset trying to make a smart, uh, smart contract platform, smart contract standard. Um, it makes it look, you, you'll notice a lot of companies, and this has started to happen over time. I mentioned that every, every one of these companies was going to have some type of blockchain token, et cetera. Over time, it just made sense. You're seeing these companies plow money into this technology, small money for them, by the way, 35 million, I think they're talking about here, still small money for these companies because they just, they don't want to miss out. They may lose on this investment and make money on another, but they will plow money over the next three to five years into blockchain token tokenization. Why? Because they realize it's the future. They just don't know why it's the future yet. Here, they see smart contracts. They see Ethereum having problems with scalability. They think, well, maybe these guys will become the standard, maybe not for the entire industry, but what if you're the standard for smart contracts just for the automobile industry or just for the aluminum industry or just for the logistics industry or whatever? That's, that's a huge business. So they're taking the risk doesn't necessarily mean that company is going to do something special. It simply means that the industry as a whole is becoming a hot topic for investors. And that's a good thing. Number four on the list of 10, BTSE crypto exchange moves headquarter to offshore tax paradise. So let's see how long BTSE can, can, can stay stable. Look, I know from personal experience how it is to go through licensing processes when licensing is already way too cumbersome. It's not cumbersome yet for crypto. Uh, it was cumbersome for FX. We made the decision to go into Vanuatu. What that did, now we operated fine in Vanuatu for years, my FX business, but you know what it did do is it made things extremely difficult like banking, right? And it makes other things extremely difficult. And eventually you get put placed into a box, makes it hard to operate, hard to do things that your competitors can do. So um, it's too early in crypto to start moving to offshore paradises when it's still easy to operate within a regulated sphere. And it's simply going to lead to them not being able to scale. That's it. Uh, number five on the list of 10, Trogheen City and, I and IOTA gear up for its smart city development towards sustainable development goals. Sustainable development goals, part of, I think, the UN, they have a list of sustainable development goals. That's great. Um, smart cities, also kind of cool. I think all this stuff is really, really stage zero right now. Um, smart city sounds great, but to have a smart city, you need smart inhabitants. And I hate to say this, uh, but even if the city was the smartest city in the world, it probably wouldn't function the way it was supposed to function because the inhabitants... Well, wouldn't live up to par. Um, so anyway, I think it's cool. I think it's I, I think it's cool to read about. 
I don't see, in, in, in all honesty, smart cities really becoming the norm anytime within my lifetime. Um, now, that might only be 30 or 40 years from now, so we're not talking about a huge jump. Uh, eventually, I do think this is going to happen, uh, but we have lots and leaps of bounds to do to get there. But it's cool that these technologies are starting, though I don't think it's going to become this mega industry uh, over the, the course of the next uh, short term here. Number six on the list of 10, why security token offerings are a big yawn in parts of Asia. I didn't read the article. I think I already know the answer. Answer is Asians are gamblers. Gamblers like to see big, quick gains. They love token sales. They love them because why? You lost 99% of the time, but when you won, it was 1,000x. In security tokens, again, which are tokenized securities, you're basically buying into plain vanilla stocks, bonds, etc. A plain vanilla stock and bond, yes, you can pick a winner like an Amazon or an Apple and over the course of a decade go up by hundreds, maybe even thousands of percent. It's possible. But the vast majority of these things are going to gain you know, single digits every year, maybe double digits the first year, you know, whatever, on, on an IPO or an IEO or whatever. But they're not as exciting. And Asians are risk takers and they're not very good risk takers. So they like to take extraordinary risk and lose 99% of the time. So this just simply doesn't get them excited. Now, if they had, if, you know, if, if you give, if you send them an email and say, you know, invest a thousand for a hundred, for a million X possibly, they probably put money in that. They probably lose too, that's for sure. But they'd be happy to put money in that. So that's why it's a yawn for them. Um, but on the whole, I think the one thing here is it's a big yawn in parts of Asia for crypto people. They are not a big yawn for people that are savvy about capital markets. They are a little off-putting to capital markets people so far because there's no infrastructure. Ding, ding, CSD, ding, ding, MTF, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. When those pieces of the puzzle are in place, trust me, institutional and retail investors will be gobbling them up in Asia. Crypto people, maybe not, but you know, crypto people, what is that like? 0.00025% of the world's population, to be quite honest. I mean, everybody says like 1%. I don't think that number is true, to be, quite, to be honest. I mean, out of 1% of the people I know outside of crypto, I mean, nobody invests in crypto. And I, I probably have a, a Rolodex, and I probably still have a Rolodex somewhere. If nobody knows what that is, Google it. Um, but somewhere, I probably, I probably met or talked to 10,000 people in my lifetime. And I guarantee you, less, way less than 1% are into crypto. And those, most, most of those people are tied to finance, to be quite honest. Number seven on a list of 10, Circle sells retail trading app to crypto broker Voyager. Well, Circle has been kind of selling them their sales in piecemeal, mainly because Circle got bought by a, by a mainstream financial uh, provider and then, uh, or, and then sold and then bought and sold all this. So they're just breaking themselves up. I think they want to get away from retail. Look, retail is difficult, guys. Institutional means no marketing for the most part, right? Uh, it, you just go out there. It's B2B sales, right? And that can be easier, right? Retail is not the easy side of the equation, but it's an underserved part. So there's a, there's, there's a big reason to be into retail, but it also means a complete different mindset. And I think because of who's, who owns Circle, they think they're much better suited to B2B. Um, so institutional, um, so they're getting rid of the retail side, right? They're trying to sell pieces to regain some of the money they lost. So that's normal business, guys. I don't see anything uh, odd, weird, or even noteworthy about that. Number eight, number 10, North Korea is expanding its Monero mining operations, quote unquote, says report. I'd like to read that report. I didn't. Um, look, North Korea, I say, a lot of things out of North Korea I think are horseshit, but on the face value of that, they, they definitely, well, we know they have programmers and developers on the payroll. 
da ding ding. If you don't know why that's supposed to be funny, I guess you haven't been here for a while. Um, but having said that, I think that uh, in reality, this is this may or may not be true. I, I think it just goes to show that where you know where countries, you know, these countries, countries are sanctioned. They're out of the banking system. They can't send money anywhere. They can't receive money from anywhere except for a very small small amount of countries around the world. Uh, so they need to be able to move money. They need to be able to make money, et cetera. They found ways that they can possibly make money with, you know, free electricity, basically, because the government is the one supplying and using it. Um, so I would say this is probably accurate. I don't think it's too surprising. Um, what it means is, is that it's just going to make the rest of the world, you know, your OFAX, your FAF, your FATFs, all these guys, not like Monero even more. That's it. Number nine, let's attend Coin Ninja CEO arrested for allegedly laundering 311 million with Bitcoin privacy tools. Again, pseudo anonymous. This, this is actually good news, I think, for all the regulators and banks that for years or year, I guess, or years have been saying that, you know, Bitcoin's anonymous. And if you touch Bitcoin, we're scared because you can't track the money. Well, obviously it can. This guy used, quote unquote, Bitcoin privacy tools, was arrested with enough evidence for laundering money, which means obviously the pseudo anonymity of Bitcoin is not enough to get, it actually makes it much more difficult to launder money than it would with cash. So I think this is a blessing in disguise, this headline. I think it's probably meant to be like a, a, a yellow headline you know, to get people's attention. In reality, what it tells me is that it kind of proves the point I've been telling the regulators and banks for the last year and a half, two years, in that you guys shouldn't be scared of Bitcoin. If I tell you I'm, I'm working with Bitcoin, you should be happy because it allows me to give you more information and gives me more information on my clients, which allows me to make sure that I'm not accepting illegal funds, which you can't do with traditional finance. Number 10 on the list of 10, NASDAQ Morgan Stanley trading bets build startup to unite crypto market price ranges. I don't even understand what the fuck that means. So I'm going to go ahead and open this link. Uh, so let's see. I love when there's you know the title, I just uh, unite crypto price ranges. Epiphany, uh, okay, came out in stealth, great, uh, with a new platform targeting exchanges hampered by low liquidity, awesome. Uh, it is emerging finances backend tool tied to technology. Okay, when I see the word technically, techno it's, it literally has the words, let me get this, technology, te technological advances, okay, emerging finance, off-chain, advantage, and crypto exchange, all in the same sentence. So what that tells me is bullshit. Uh, but let's, I'll continue to read just because, you know, you guys are listening to me talk. So I figured I better have something good to say. Um, so what scares me about this, not scares me, but what tells me a lot is, okay, NASDAQ, Morgan Stanley and trading veterans. Okay. Let me tell you what a trading veteran is on a, on a, on a, on a desk. It's a guy that follows a, a, a risk parameter set by the bank to not lose money. Doesn't mean he knows how to trade. It means he knows how to move money quickly according to us to, to basically a, a per parameters that are set up by his boss. Morgan Stanley, one of the worst market makers in the history of market makers, probably lost more money market making than even JP Morgan, which is pretty shitty. Um, and then NASDAQ, right? So NASDAQ just makes technology. I mean, they don't necessarily make that great a technology. They just make technology. So these are guys that left there to make something that supposedly provides liquidity by, quote unquote, uniting crypto market price ranges. What I think that means is, is that it pulls probably liquidity or quotes from many, many different exchanges to try to get one non-OTC quote, right? So it's basically aggregating quotes to try to find where liquidity sits, where there's pockets of liquidity that aren't being, are hit because they're probably inside the spread or something along those lines, which sounds nice on paper, but in reality probably won't do much uh, because you need liquidity 
inside of those ranges to be able to aggregate it and provide more liquidity. Just aggregating doesn't actually provide liquidity. Um, anyway, I'll actually read more into this later, but I think uh, suffice it to say that when tools are made for institutional players like exchanges that actually help them create a better market, there is no need to release a PR statement about that because it's B2B. And as soon as it works for one, everyone will use it, right? I could list a myriad of different companies that exist in FX that you've never heard of, and and, but that are huge, right? PrimeXM, not the best example, but just one off the top of my head. Anybody here heard of PrimeXM that, that isn't a trader or hasn't worked? Probably not. You know why? Because they're an they're institutional company that aggregates liquidity. Why would a retail guy know about that? You don't have to know about that. You don't care. If you're ordering, what? You don't care as a retail client how your order gets filled at all, just that it gets filled. You don't care if it's market made. You don't care if it's in-house. You could care less. You just want your order filled, right? So why would you care about a company that's helping fill orders that you can't even open an account with because it's just a technical solution for an exchange? So the fact that it's even on Coindesk kind of tells me that there you go. They need the PR. Why? Because, well, cheers.